good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you uh, may happen to be. Uh, my name is uh, John Duke Anthony. I'm the founding president and chief executive officer of the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations. We're a non-governmental uh, organization, nonprofit, and we were established in 1983. We have a headquarters in Washington, D.C., uh, but we have uh, followers, uh, participants, and activities throughout the United States, and uh, half and one dozen uh, Arab countries, there are 22 Arab countries. We have programs in 12 uh, of these uh, 22 uh, Arab uh, countries. Our vision is to place the overall Arab-US relationship that is between America and its Arab allies, its Arab friends, its Arab strategic partners on as firm a foundation, enduring and comprehensive as possible, as mutually beneficial as possible, as richly rewarding uh, as uh, uh, possible, reciprocally uh, uh, rewarding as possible. Uh, we do this through programs, through projects, through events, through activities, nine altogether. And today is just one of them, which is a series of public affairs briefings. And a vision, as I mentioned, is to place this uh, uh, relationship on as firm a foundation as possible, uh, uh, more than it's ever been, more than it is now, and more than it is likely to become, unless enough good people on all sides uh, work uh, for this uh, accomplishment as such. Uh, we see this vision as strong in terms of overall strategic issues having to do with war and peace, having to do with economic issues, because of what the Middle East and the Arab region, the Islamic world has, where it is, what it does, and what it means to so much beyond the region, as well as within the region. Uh, there's the political aspect, of course, which is the thorniest of all. We're beyond the age of colonialism, except in the case of the Israelis in, God, in the West Bank and East Jerusalem and elsewhere in the region and some other places additionally in, in, uh, in Africa. Uh, but we also have the trade aspect and we've had the trade aspect longer than the political. We're talking about trade, investment, technology, cooperation, investment in the United States, investment in the region. And we are fortunate today to have an individual who will provide us a, a window on so much of ongoing, enduring interest and value uh, to uh, a lot of people's concerns, many people's needs, uh, overwhelming majority of humanity's uh, interest and their related uh, goals in life to make the world a better one in which we, we found it. So we work along a continuum of information that's hard to come by. Today, you'll have it uh, in, in abundance. Uh, but information itself alone is not enough uh, unless it's coupled to insight. Uh, insight and information go hand in hand. And those two are also inadequate unless they lead to knowledge. And knowledge is not the same as understanding. And knowledge and understanding are quite different. But the roads to understanding begin with knowledge, of course, through empathy, through education, and through experience. We have an individual today who's lived through all of these aspects of education and empathy and experience, empirical experience, not theoretical. This individual has survived assassination attempts in his family and towards himself. He's lived through a, a an extended civil war in Lebanon that took the lives of uh, reportedly 150,000 uh, souls of Lebanon's uh, citizens there. Uh, he's in a situation now where the country has been uh, rocked with explosions, the likes of which had never been known in Lebanon, or for that matter, any other country, nor could they have been necessarily foreseen, planned for, prepared, or anticipated. Uh, he's uh, a member of a minority, but we're all part of a minority of one kind or another. And it's unfair to think of this individual as representative of a, a 
of a minority. Of course, we are all, each and every one of us, but this is misleading and confusing as it is helpful and, 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 and an aid uh, to knowledge and understanding. Here's an individual who's a statesman. And we have lots of leaders in the world. Many countries have lots of leaders. Very few have statesmen. We have a statesman with us today. And very few countries have national statesmen who are also regional statesmen. I cannot think of another Arab uh, personality and leader uh, where when visitors come to his country uh, from another country, be they head of state or high-ranking official of one kind or another, seek out uh, as speaker today, as Excellency Waleed uh, Jumblat, uh, the head of uh, one of Lebanon's major uh, political forces and movements, uh, the Progressive Socialist uh, Party. Uh, we'll be looking at a region that's become more uncertain, more unpredictable. Uh, its future looks dire in many aspects, but not completely. Of the 22 Arab countries, about seven are in dire straits and turmoil. Uh, the other 15 are not newsworthy because they are secure, they're stable in a relative sense of the word. But look what's happened to Yemen. Look what's happened to Lebanon. Look what's happened to Syria. Look what's happened to, uh, to Iraq. Look what's happened to, to Libya. And uh, look what's yet to happen and is ongoingly happening uh, in Palestine with regard uh, to the second class status of the Palestinian indigenous inhabitants of the land uh, that is shared uh, by uh, the Israelis, uh, but the Israelis have invaded and occupied a large swath of Palestinian territory. So I just named the seven that are in a difficult situation. We have to help us uh, moderate this session uh, with His Excellency Waleed Jumblat. Uh, we have a former U.S. Army Colonel retired Abbas Dahouk. Dahouk is a larger than life individual himself uh, in the sense that uh, he, he was an individual who was educated in the former Soviet Union. He was educated in Oman. He has certificates of higher education from both, in addition to his native uh, Lebanon. Uh, he had the very prominent, prestigious, demanding, responsible post of uh, U.S. Army and defense attache at the U.S. Embassy in Saudi Arabia in Riyadh, and very much involved with the Saudi Arabian uh, National Armed Forces and also as an advisor to the U.S. Secretary of State on matters pertaining to the nexus between political matters and military matters, between military matters and political matters. Uh, we're looking forward to what we call a cerebral massage with His Excellency and led by a board member. We're proud to have with us today, Abbas Daho, Colonel Daho. Thank you. Dr. Anthony, thank you very much for this uh, kind introduction and uh, kind words and uh, good day and good evening to our listeners uh, here in the United States and, uh, and abroad. And welcome to our uh, discussion with His Excellency Mr. Olegion Blot on uh, the to explore um, uh, dynamics uh, in Lebanon uh, and the Middle East uh, writ large. Um, your Excellency, uh, Excellency uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, I believe you're joining us from uh, your residence uh, in, in Beirut. Um, yes. Before I start the, uh, the conversation on uh, the political and the economic uh, uh, issues, uh, uh, first uh, I would like to ask you about the COVID-19 uh, situation in Lebanon. This is the topic of the hour, not only in, uh, in Lebanon, in the United States and, uh, and worldwide. We know that you're, uh, you got your shot recently. We know that uh, we... Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, multiple non-government organizations in the United States uh, try to uh, assist uh, to uh, uh, to bring supplies and uh, to to Lebanon, like uh, uh, the uh, American Task Force from Lebanon, like the uh, Lebanese, uh, Lebanon for Lebanese Foundation, and uh, and uh, uh, People to People Aid Corps, and, and so on. 
and also we know some local uh, organization that they're uh, working also uh, hand in hand together with the U.S. organization like Farah Foundation, and they're doing great work, and things I think are moving. But obviously, this is uh, not enough, and and uh, and uh, probably uh, uh, I would like to for you to. Uh, uh, to give us a, a, a status of COVID-19 situation and what is urgent and uh, how do you uh, you focus them to uh, uh, to uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to somehow control uh, this uh, this pandemic? Well, the urgency is in uh, accelerating the process of uh, vaccination. Hmm. Uh, now the process is a little bit slow. We are getting uh, mostly Pfizer, then will come, I think, AstraZeneca. But some Lebanese traders will, merchants will bring the uh, Russian one, but they will uh, mm -hmm. sell it at a quite uh, high price at $38, which is not accessible to ordinary people. The Ministry of uh, Health is doing its best, but the pace, the pace of, uh, of vaccination is slow. So we have just now, we have just finished 1.4% to 5%. Second, which is at stake, more at stake that well, with the collapse of the Lebanese economy and with the gradual but systematic uh, emigration of uh, doctors, of, uh, of the uh, med medical staff, uh, nurses from, uh, from Lebanon to the Gulf, to, to everywhere. Now the whole uh, health system of Lebanon is at risk, is at risk. And this, mm. this is the where we can, we will, we might be, let's say, we might lose one day mm. the, our, um, our, uh, how to say, our role as uh, the, being in Lebanon, well, the, 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 the hospital of the Middle East, the hospital, the elite of the Middle East who used to come to, to have uh, care in, uh, in our hospitals mm. and you others. Now, this, this, uh, this is a terrible stake. What can be done? I do thank all the organizations in the state that have helped us. I think, I hope, well, mainly because now speaking to American audience, well, uh, uh, do what you can to help AUB, to help AUB, okay, and to help also uh, LAU, other uh, American uh, financed uh, or, uh, or uh, helped uh, organizations. Of course, the NGOs are doing their best. But the challenges are big. As long as we don't solve, as Lebanese, our own problems and we start working together, all of us, mm. without excluding anybody, all of us, to form a government. Nobody outside will help us. Mm. No, nobody outside will help us. And we are, sorry to say, so many emissaries, so many ministers, so many visitors, visits to outside. Nothing will be solved outside. We have to solve it internally, a compromise. Yeah. If we don't adopt a compromise, Lebanon that we used to know will, will cease to exist. Lebanon of plurality, of diversity, will cease to exist. Now, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, we are more at stake about the future of Lebanon than during the wars. Mm -hmm. Sorry to say that. Mm. Oh, sorry. Okay, uh, thank you for uh, for that. Uh, so, in, in your bio, you you say that you're the president of the Progressive uh, Socialist uh, Party, and um, and so how do you see the role of this party to basically uh, uh, take Lebanon from this dire state you just uh, mentioned? Could you tell us a little bit about the party and how do you uh, navigate, you know, in this sectarian uh, uh, atmosphere with this progressive socialist uh, agenda? Let's say that my father Kamal Jumblat had a dream to change the system, the confessional system of Lebanon uh, to, uh, to a, uh, a non-confessional system to have uh, equal rights, equal, uh, equal uh, yes, equal rights, everybody, but, uh, and, and to have a social, social, soft, uh, social welfare approach, meaning making the rich, and uh, we are, we are, uh, we used to be one of the greatest feudal landlords, making the rich, the, the feudalists, the capitalists pay more, pay their due. Like now what is uh, President Biden is trying to do, 
I mean, after the liberal, terrible liberal mm -hmm. past economy, which was uh, which was making reducing taxes, I my father didn't uh, believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe mm -hmm. in that. Well, he failed. He failed because there were so many obstacles inside Lebanon and outside Lebanon. Never, nobody wanted to modernize this country. Nobody wanted to have a modern country. I mean, although we have elites, but we were, uh, he was, this is why part of it, he was assassinated in 77. Correct. Uh, so speaking of modernization, you know, the recent uh, October uh, 17 revolution and, and uh, in their mind, they're trying to revolution, revolutionize uh, Lebanon. Uh, but their, their core message, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the October 17, is uh, basically calling uh, to all the uh, establishment, all the political uh, uh, traditional establishment to step down. You know, their, their motto is all me means all. Um, and uh, and you've been a veteran uh, of uh, this struggle to make Lebanon uh, as a, a non-sectarian uh, 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 country. Uh, so how do you how do you, uh, uh, Your Excellency, distinguish yourself from the establishment uh, writ large? Uh, you you ha you, ha you have a role. Yeah, you have, you have role domestically and regionally and internationally. You have uh, not only just you not only domestic. Uh, you can work with Lebanon on the domestic side. You have friends in, in Europe. You have friends in, in the East, and you have friends with the Arab world. So how do you distinguish yourself that to become a uh, to remain a uh, vital element in the in the future of Lebanon? Look, uh, let's be frank and honest. I mean, I'm part of the past, now. and the young people of Lebanon and the young. Uh, Young uh, who came to the streets and said, uh, "Well, and uh, wanted a new system." They were right. They were right. But this system is so much entrenched in the past, entrenched in the past, and uh, they they failed because they did not uh, have a united program. They said, "Everybody is, is everybody. Go away." Okay, how can you? How can we leave? How how can you dislocate this uh, the system without? elections with newcomers with newcomers and one day to be able to separate if possible state from religion this was one aim one aim of uh, kamal jumla of course the clerics of lebanon the muslims or christians refused refused that because they have a lot of lot of interest a lot of financial political cultural interest so this is one of his big fight but he failed so now now, we have to give hope. I will do my best, but I'm part of the past. I will now, I'm intense to, because of uh, this whole climate in my own community, trying to defend, uh, to, defend, to help my own community. And our areas are not Druzes, mixed areas, Muslims and Christians. I'm doing my best, but on my own, I cannot do it. I can't change the whole issues. <laughs> Thank you. you. You mentioned that Lebanon is on the verge of uh, economic collapse. Uh, you mentioned that we're uh, unable to form a government. You have a political stale, uh, stalemate. Uh, the list of Lebanese friends, whether are Arab friends or international friends, is, is actually shrinking. And people, uh, other people are saying that uh, Lebanon might be the Venezuela of the Levant. Uh, so uh, putting all that together, what is the worst case scenario to Lebanon? Where are we hidden here? Heading. The old Lebanon that you used to know, that started with the creation, because I'm, I'm graduated from the AUB, with the creation of the, uh, when the evangelical, Syrian evangelical mission came to the Middle East and started in 1864, I think, before the creation of the Great Lebanon by the French. This was the biggest challenge. And this was the biggest support from the West, from the Americans, then came the Jesuits. So it was education. Now, now the whole system of education, the big universities and the public universities are at stake because of the economic collapse. So we might lose Lebanon as a pluralistic, diverse country. We might lose it and we'll become, as you said, like uh, Venezuela or some, some, some other places. So this is the big stake, big issue. Now, how you do it, we, we can expect so many emissaries, so many foreign ministers. You can, you can, 
You can go to anywhere, to the Vatican, you can go to the um, Russia, to Egypt, to everywhere, to the States, but we have to solve it inside without excluding anybody. If you exclude somebody here, it will be a mistake. Lebanon is a country of compromise. And when I say excluding, I do say Hezbollah. I do say Hezbollah name because they are here. They are here and they represent the Persian Empire. I call it the Persian Empire. Sorry, this is my terminology. I call it the Persian Empire in Lebanon, the Persian Empire in, uh, in Yemen, in even Gaza, in even Gaza. Of course, Syria, Syria, the state of Syria that I used to know doesn't exist anymore. Now it's uh, fragmented between Russians, Persians, Iranians, and Turks. So it's our duty to see that. And we, we, when I cannot expect anybody else to help us except NGOs, uh, this, this is not enough. We have to establish to enhance reforms. To enhance reforms, we have to shake hands with each other to do the best, to do the, the best, so to prevent further collapse. Mm. You're you right to say to add to uh, the questions that uh, Colonel Dahoub uh, put to you. Uh, why are the Lebanese uh, contemporary intellectual giants? When the National Council began, we focused on Lebanon more than any other Arab country. We could have chosen any of the other 21 Arab entities, but we chose Lebanon. And we chose it for various reasons, because of its literary giants, among other giants. Uh, Khalil Gibran, for example. Um, I've read many accounts that no work has been translated into other languages more than Khalil Gibran's The Prophet and Sand and Foam and, and other works of his of poetry and verse and, and mysticism on life and death uh, issues. Uh, but also Mikhail Naimi, who came close to getting the Nobel Prize for Literature on more than one occasion. And Amin Rahani, Amin Rahani, 53 books. This is before the computers, before electricity was in vogue as a means of communicating for writers and publishers and publishers as such. And last but not least, Elias Abomadi. Uh, whose widow was still alive when we wrote our first book on uh, U.S.-Arab relations, the literary dimension. All four of them were Lebanese. And you've had others. Uh, Charles Malik was the president of the United Nations General Assembly. Where are these Lebanese giants? Now, we have Ragida uh, Durham, who uh, does this extraordinary uh, job as a journalist and as an intellectual, and she's a advisory board. Where are we? Look, I mean, we cannot say that only Lebanon produced giants. That would it be also a mistake towards uh, towards uh, the Palestinians, uh, the Syrians, the Iraqis. Yes. But with opportunity. I mean, we had a chance. Okay. Although we had this sectarian system bloody Saxonian system, but we didn't have uh, dictator, dictatorships in, in Lebanon, like Syria, right. like Iraq, like uh, Egypt. So uh, you have the elite of the Arab world that emigrated. I mean, uh, what's his name? The one who created the, the big family, uh, the big uh, company in, um, in the States. He was from a Syrian origin. What's his name again? I forgot his name now. So we cannot say that Lebanon is exclusively producing intellectuals, no. But when the Arab world was doomed by dictators, Lebanon was able to, to uh, escape, escape these dictators, okay? But now with the collapse of economy, well, the elite of the Lebanese will, is already starting to leave or is leaving. Mm. Yes, I understand. You made the reference to uh, the Persian Empire. Uh, and many people need to know more about Iran's reach into Lebanon and how in various ways it has compromised Lebanon's 
exercise of its national sovereignty, uh, its political independence. When you have one massive political party uh, that holds the key to so much in the realm of security and stability in Lebanon, and yet in many ways it's beholden to Tehran there. Can you help us understand this more clearly? Okay, before, uh, before avoiding this issue, I will, I will also say, remember Walid Khaldi, the great professor Walid Khaldi, yes. Walid Khaldi right. and, uh, and Said, okay, Edward Said, okay. Exactly. Uh, Persian Empire, well, it was, the, the door was open to Persia in 203 yes. when uh, American administration invaded Iraq. Yep. This doesn't mean that I'm defending the dictator Saddam Hussein, no. But the big errors at that time committed by the American local administrators in Iraq made Iraq void now. There is, I don't think there is a, already a state in Iraq. And the Persians came, came to Iraq. Then you had also this connection, this political connection between the rulers of uh, the Syrian regime. Well, uh, let's say the Alawite, uh, some of the Alawite uh, rulers. Yes. With the, with the Persians, and uh, it created uh, slowly but surely the emergence of Hezbollah in Lebanon, in Lebanon, which is the one uh, which is played a role, very important role at one time, liberating Lebanon from Israeli occupation, but now they are, well, uh, one of the big uh, factors, or let's say one of the main main principal parties uh, in Lebanon, you cannot avoid the presence because they are not foreigners. Are, most of them are Lebanese, but they have adopted, let's say, this per Iranian approach. Let's not, let's not go too far, Iranian approach, Iranian help. Yes, thank you, thank you. That helps a lot. Uh, allow me to continue a bit on uh, one more question on Hezbollah. Um, they are a Lebanese, uh, 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 political power, and uh, they're mostly uh, all of them Lebanese in, uh, under Hezbollah. But as we talked about, uh, they, they have a uh, outside reach, foreign also reach. Uh, we mm -hmm. know that they, in the last decade, they actually crossed international borders and they fought alongside the, uh, the Assad regime. They fought with the Assad regime. And also we know uh, the beginning of the uh, Yemen war. Uh, they send uh, trainers and they send subject matter experts to, uh, to uh, teach the Houthis on how to use the uh, unmanned aerial uh, UAVs, uh, how to put it together, how to uh, deploy it, and also how to modify rockets. And those rockets were actually launched from Iran yes. to, uh, from uh, Yemen uh, to Saudi Arabia. And also we have a, a, a large arsenal. I mean, they have, uh, you know, the st statistics out there that Hezbollah has uh, about 150,000 uh, missiles. Mm -hmm. and about a thousand precision missiles that actually reach all the way to Aviv, Damona, they have anti-ship missiles, they got uh, UAVs and so on. So how do you, what is the ultimate uh, uh, goal for Hezbollah? How they actually wanna, if they say we're gonna play only domestic, uh, domestically within Lebanon and uh, be part of the solution, well, that's one thing. But with this arsenal you, and this connection is another thing. We cannot ignore them. I mean, when in 1975, 76, Part of the Lebanese at that time, under the pretext of Palestinian weapons in Lebanon, well, decided to go, decided to go to war against the Palestinians and use the Lebanese army. The Lebanese army just collapsed. You cannot ignore now, and collapsed. Okay, it took us decades to finish the civil war to settle it under American, Saudi, and Syrian. Syrian auspices, and the Syrians implemented peace at that time, the time of Hafez al-Assad in 1990, implemented the peace in Lebanon. We, as Lebanese, left Hezbollah armed because mo most of the South was occupied by, uh, by, uh, by Israelis. When uh, then later on, of course, they are here, they are here, and they challenged Lebanese authority they are part of the system. They, are, they have their MPs in the parliament. They have their ministers in the, in the, in the government. So only a compromise, and now this, this compromise is not going to be local, is not at all to be local. Sorry, the past days 
when you had strong leaders in the Arab world like Nasser, you remember Nasser and the 1958 revolt in Lebanon and yes. the compromise that occurred for the safe of Lebanon, safeguard of Lebanon, between Nasser and uh, and Eisenhower at one time, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But you had, and then came Assad. Assad, even as a brutal dictator, okay, but respected the state of Lebanon. He did not want to abolish the state of Lebanon. Now, you don't have this, how should I say, this equilibrium outside. The Arab world almost doesn't exist anymore. You have to face now the, the, the Iranians. Let me remind you, in 1918, in 1918, just after the First World War uh, finished, okay, and the surrender of the Ottomans, but the Ottomans at that time were at the gates of Basra, the gates of Iran, and the Ottomans were in Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and in Yemen, in northern Yemen. Now, very strangely, after Hanjir, another, another, uh, another occupation, not occupation, sorry, not another presence is there where the Persians are Lebanon, Yemen, Syria, Iraq. A hundred years. Mm -hmm. So how to face it? We've got to be very patient. We'll see now with the Biden administration, they have in started their dialogue with the Iranians, okay? And uh, the policy of Trump was totally nil, sorry, totally nil to, uh, to get out of the, uh, of the Obama uh, accord about the nuclear issue. Yes. Now, the Iranians are very patient. They, use, they will use the Houthis. They might use Hezbollah here. They have their assets everywhere. Now it's going to be a long process. Are we, we hope, we hope that in this process, we'll be able to say to Obama, sorry, to Biden somewhere, to uh, Rob Mali and others, well, in your negotiations with the Iranians, remember that there is a small country that still exists called Lebanon. <laughs> well, Your Excellency, you have a chance to uh, to speak to uh, Under Secretary Hale this week, and perhaps you can uh, uh, you can <laughs> give him a word or two on uh, what this uh, U.S. administration is uh, uh, perhaps uh, could do to the best of both countries. Uh, let me take you out uh, to uh, uh, your uh, to Russia. Uh, you've uh, you visited Russia and the Soviet Union many times, as, uh, 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 and also you hosted Russian officials back in, uh, in your village about during the Civil War. And uh, Russia is back. Russia is back. Uh, you know they uh, they they helped the Assad regime to basically win the war in Syria. They're uh, back on its feet. You know that they established a very solid uh, a, a naval uh, port now in Tartus. They're in there to stay. They uh, they show uh, projected military power. They projected their loyalty to their friends, and also they promoted their military industry and uh, and, and and fielded some of their weapons. And now they're selling uh, air defense missiles to Turkey and uh, perhaps Iran and maybe some of the Gulf countries. Uh, so what, how do you how do you explain this uh, re return of Russia back into the region? Russia is already in uh, not only in Syria. It's already in Egypt and Western Egypt. It's already also in Libya. So how do you explain that uh, from looking back what Russia before and what Russia is doing right now? Let's say, I mean, uh, they were in, uh, in Syria from the 50s. That's right. And they were in, uh, in Egypt also from the 50s. You remember when uh, Nasser wanted to big the high dam and you remember the catastrophe of the Suez Canal intervention. The Russians at that time helped for building the, building the sorry the uh, the the, uh, the, um, the the dam uh, Nasser Dam, okay. And the Russians at that time, well instructed and uh, and uh, and uh, and helped the Syrian army. But now the circumstances are different. There was a unified strong state in Syria until 2011. Then started this uh, terrible, terrible blunder when Assad did not listen, did not listen to the demands of the Syrian people for reforms, for dignity, for uh, freedom. And it continued and the bloodshed continued. And then, then I have to say, there was also this terrible blunder, a mistake committed by the Obama administration 
into 12 or to 13 by not helping the, the rebels because they were somewhere discussing discussing the issues, the greater that issue about the nuclear nuclear uh, with, with with the Iranians. Right now, now I mean, uh, yesterday or two days ago, uh, Assad Bashar uh, told um, told uh, an American diplomat uh, that well, uh, the Sheba farms are Syrian. Now he admitting he's admitting that, but. We are now, he's no more in control of his own country, divided by, of course, he was helped drastically by the Russians, but don't forget the Iranians. Don't forget the Iranians. And, the Russia, and now, if you look at Syria, one side it's you have the Turks, other side you have the Iranians, you have the Russians, and you have also the Americans are present in the Jazeera, in the Jazeera. So what is left of Syria? I don't know, but he's no, it's no more the Syrian stable state, although I challenge that, we challenge the question of the autocrats who we wanted, we, we dreamt about, like my father dreamt about a new Lebanon, uh, non-confessional, we dreamt about a new Syria, democratic Syria, well, our dreams are over, mm. our dreams are over, and Syria, mm. the pivot of stability in the fertile crescent yes. is on the verge. And what with regard to Iraq, along the same line of reasoning, uh, Syria had pretensions to uh, the mantle of uh, pan-Arab leadership, uh, Iraq as well under the Ba'ath party. Both have been smashed to smithereens uh, for different reasons, but you rightly alluded to the 2000 disastrous American decision to invade and occupy Iraq and to disband the Ba'ath Party, disband yes. the National Armed Forces, disband the police. I mean, this was a recipe for chaos, like no other recipe for chaos imaginable. Can Iraq, or how can Iraq go forward? How can it be put back together, if at all? How do you see Iraq? I'm not an expert on Iraq, but also like, like Lebanon, sir, and like Syria, and like uh, Palestine, which became Palestine became now Israel. Okay. Well, Iraq also was at one at one time a creation, a creation of the British. When Faisal, when Faisal, the son of Sharif Hussein, who dreamt about the Arab unity, thanks to uh, thanks to the uh, Arab Bureau, the English Arab Bureau, the British Arab Bureau in uh, in Cairo. And thanks to Lawrence of Arabia, well, then he was deposed by the French. He ruled Damascus for two months. He was deposed by the French, and the British took him to Iraq, which is, which is also a, which is a new entity, a new entity. Of course, at that time, the Arab, uh, the Arab national movement in general, yeah. before dictators, before dictators, was genuine, from Iraq to Syria to Lebanon to everywhere, yes, was genuine for a new, a new, uh, a, a new Arab world without uh, dictators and without, uh, without uh, occupation, colonialism. Well, this was, uh, this was abandoned or this was, they were forced to abandon that, they were in exile or they were, uh, when the first Arab, the first uh, coup d'etat in the Arab world happened, it was in Syria. Yes. It was the Americans, the coup d'etat of Hosni Zain. Then came Nasser in 1952. He was our idol, of course, as for we, are, we were Arab nationalists, Nasserites, but he was also terrible, terrible in establishing his dictatorship, not as bloody as Saddam Hussein or Hafez. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Your Excellency, you mentioned the word pivot earlier, earlier, and I, uh, we know that the United States under the Obama administration had this policy of uh, pivot to Asia or rebalance to, uh, to Asia. But we talked about Russia came back and kind of pivoted or they came into the, uh, into the region. And also we know that China is actually now pivoting or rebalancing, getting closer to the Middle East. Uh, they already have a base in Djibouti on the western side of the Gulf. And they just have a 25-year agreement uh, with Iran. 
Uh, so uh, I, I see that as a as a as a counter punch to what we're trying to do on on the Far East. Okay. So do you think now? Do you think with this this closer and closer with Iran and and the association between Iran and Hezbollah would that also affect uh, the politics of Lebanon? Maybe they try to uh, make Lebanon instead of Lebanon facing the West or Lebanon facing the Arabs. Now uh, you know it's a fait accompli where Iran and Lebanon would be facing Iran and China, or basically aligned with them. Mm. I'm not going to venture into, sorry to say that, into discussing so big issues. Don't blame the Chinese or don't blame the Russians or anybody when there are no more Arabs to able to have their own, to stabilize, to maintain their own existence. There are no more Arabs. Okay. So now, uh, now the uh, back to Lebanon. Well, I think we can go and discuss these issues, international issues, for hours. I'm sorry to say that, but it will not solve. It will not solve here inside Lebanon the question of the necessity of a compromise. And here, Lavrov in the, in Egypt, uh, when he spoke to his counterpart, uh, uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, he said there is a necessity of a government in Lebanon that includes everybody. And let's uh, remind uh, some pol high position political leaders, I'm one of them, about uh, to consider to have a daily list of the price of beans, of the, of the price of meat, of the price of uh, sugar, of the price of uh, milk, powdered milk, because these are the main items now at stake and we can go and discuss as you much. People don't care. People are beginning to starve. Fair, fair enough. So on, on the economy, uh, we, we know that the Gulf, uh, the Gulf states uh, have ambitious uh, vision uh, to diversify their economy, to sustain their economy, to move away from the uh, fossil fuel. Um, especially in a big uh, uh, division 2030 in Saudi Arabia and also UAE. And we know that the Gulf countries employ uh, not only Lebanese Arabs in, 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 their, in their world and, and, and uh, remittance money coming from uh, Gulf to that helps the economy of Lebanon. So how do you, uh, how do you be part of that? How do you actually uh, you know, uh, maybe hedge the, the, this, uh, the Gulf nation to work with Lebanon or how do we uh, how do you contribute to this? Is there a role in, 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 in Lebanon or um, uh, to, uh, to be a part of that, uh, to, uh, to help the you know, Lebanese economy to stand on its feet? Sorry for the, some failures in my memory, but uh, the Syrian, the successful Syrian origin was Steve, Steve Jobs, isn't it? Okay. And, Jobs, uh, yeah. and, the, and the diplomat whom I, I spoke about was Fred Hoff, excellent diplomat. Excellent yes. diplomat. Yes. 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 So now, back to the, uh, the uh, role of the Gulf. Well, we have played as Lebanese a very important role, thanks to, well, thanks to the Gulf, thanks to, and we have, with the people of the Gulf, we have built the Gulf I mean, together. Okay, now, now they, want, they don't want to hear Saudi Arabia. They don't want to hear about Lebanon. Excellent. But you, they cannot say, they cannot, I mean, objectively, they are dropping most of the Lebanese, except Hezbollah. We are, we are and they cannot uh, abandon well, uh, the, the Sunnis of Lebanon, the Sunni institutions, Al-Maqasid, Dar al-Aytam al-Islamiyya, and other historical Sunni institutions, orphans, orphanage, and they cannot get, abandon them because of uh, the presence of Hezbollah. And the, the, Hezbollah is here. They have their own institutions. Now they are establishing huge supermarkets with, with, uh, with prices below the, uh, I mean, very reachable to everybody. They are importing their goods from, I don't know from where. They have their own central bank and our central bank indirectly or directly because of subsidies is going to, is going to the, to uh, the uh, Lebanese traders that are selling our subsidized subsidized uh, goods to Syria, to Iraq, even to Turkey, anywhere. So they are just they said, okay, we we'll leave you. You are uh, you are under uh, uh, Iranian occupation. That's not right. That's not that's not true. 
But at the same time, at the same time, we have to do something internally, internally being to enhance what, what, what is needed to enhance reforms, reforms. Okay. Okay. The, um, uh, the um, Department of State recently recognized that uh, month of April uh, this month uh, as the National Arab American Month, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, uh, United States is home of for probably about uh, 3.5 uh, million uh, Arabs. Uh, they're Christians and and uh, Muslims. Uh, they're uh, yep. they're Democrat. They're Republicans. They're independent, and uh, some of them uh, they uh, serve in the uh, well, multiple administrations, they have uh, military and uh, judges and uh, a lot of prominent uh, uh, places in American society. Uh, so uh, what, um, what, could, what could they do uh, to, to enhance this uh, uh, U.S.-Arab affairs, U.S.-Arab relations? What do you think the role uh, could be is to, uh, to help, uh, you know, specifically Lebanon, but also the, the, Arab, the Arab world writ large? As for Lebanon, the main approach should be not to drop the Lebanese army. They have, you have offered, thanks to the American, uh, to, to American help. Well, we've got a lot. We have got a lot profited from American help, aid uh, in weapons, uh, in training uh, for, from, uh, as for the Lebanese army. But now, at the same time, Lebanese army, I mean, the Lebanese army soldier, which used to be before, the collapse of the uh, collapse of Lebanese currency, which used to be around five hundred dollars anyway, okay. now is less than seventy dollars. Mm. So they need now they need basics. They need food, and now the weapons are no more are useless. Mm. They, they need food because because if the collapse continues and with, if we don't, I'm not blaming the U.S. If we as Lebanese don't cope together to enhance, to, to stop this regression and to enhance reforms, well, uh, the Lebanese maybe, maybe will have defections in the Lebanese army, Lebanese police, because the salaries are totally irrelevant, totally irrelevant. Second, the educational part. This is where USAID is very important. And here I would like to address you to help me, not to help me, to help Lebanon so that USAID will be more open to all kinds of institutions, basically Farah, uh, and the big universities like AUB, like LAAU and others I mean, universities, because we need this, this help now in this terrible period of time. Your Excellency, we have uh, youth leadership development programs in five uh, Arab uh, countries, uh, Morocco, uh, Egypt, uh, two in Saudi Arabia, and uh, one in uh, Lebanon at the uh, Lebanese American University. Um, we haven't had one at AUB, your alma mater. Uh, tell us the future, the present, status of AUB. I mean, it was a beacon. It was a Switzerland of the, of the Arab world. Uh, Switzerland was the AUB of, of, of Europe. Uh, where is the future of it? If there's any institution that should qualify for a Nobel Peace Prize, uh, what is your view of the Lebanese uh, AUB hospital? The ambulances never stopped during the Civil War, no matter what the price of oil was, no matter how violent the situation was. Could you address the present and future of this oldest of American educational ventures in the uh, Arab Middle East? Daniel Bliss should be given the Nobel Prize posthumously, yes. yes. He got great achievement, great, great achievement. But during the war, when the ambulances were circling around, bringing wounded to AB, the economy was good. Sorry to say that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an anachronism, but sorry to say that. Yes. During the war, the Lebanese uh, pound was stable. Now the Lebanese pound is not stable, is declining, is going to collapse. 
So we have got to ask Dr. Rattas Khouri, the president of AUB, of AUH. I think he has already a hundred doctors on, uh, that have asked for unpaid leave, or uh, more have left, and more are coming, and more are going, sorry. Like other hospitals, yeah. like other hospitals, like all other elites that are leaving. So more, I mean, uh, let's say, uh, they, they, I think they have a, enough endowment outside, outside. I mean, but they need more, more, more help. I, I might, I might say so. But these uh, details should be asked to him, uh, Doctor uh, Doctor Sorry, He's uh, he knows um, he's much more knowledgeable than me. Yes, thank you. Uh, Your Excellency, we have about maybe uh, ten minutes uh, left. Uh, uh, let me ask you a couple of quick questions. Um, um, back to Lebanon. Uh, there's uh, of, um, on the question of the presidency, uh, lot, you know, a lot of talk about having him step down or uh, eventually he has to step down and then be a new president. Um, uh, if you have to say so, do you, uh, who do you uh, pick for the, to be the next president of Lebanon? One Lebanese president in the history of Lebanon stepped down at a time of great leaders of Lebanon like Kamal Jumlat, Camille Shamoun, Hassan Twaini, uh, he, he was a Pshar of Huri. It was in 1952. 52. Okay. A small alliance of great leaders, I mean, obliged him to step down. It's now, the question is, it's impossible. It would be a great risk to now to declare, to have to go and for asking the president to step down. It will antagonize any compromise. I'm totally against that. Uh, do you have any uh, uh, names in mind for a future after his term is over? I mean, is there any prominent uh, figures right now in the making that you think they're uh, ready to take that role on, on this, uh, this tough times for Lebanon? In the meantime, we still have one year and a half. I hope that uh, Prime Minister uh, Saad Hariri, Mr. Saad Hariri, and uh, will understand. I mean, he understands, of course, but I mean, we are now maybe on the different wavelengths, uh, the importance of compromise. Uh, well, for three years, Mr. Saad Hariri was ruling Lebanon with uh, the other, with Jubran Basile and with Michel Aoun. I hope we can achieve a compromise. Okay, so to, so to frame, uh, to, to halt the collapse, I hope so. It's a question of time. It's a, ve it's a very urgent, and nobody from outside will help us. If we form a government, we, we then we'll ask you, we'll ask the French to go and negotiate with the IMF, with the World Bank. But if you don't form a government, we can do nothing. So the urgency is the government, not now to replace Michel Aoun or to think about somebody else. Your Excellency, may I add on to Colonel Dahouk's question? The big elephant in the room when uh, people are trying to fathom the uh, disconnects, dysfunctionality of American policies and positions and actions and attitudes towards the Arab region. Uh, the stereotype, and would like for you to address whether it's valid or not, and the implications of it, if it is valid or to the extent it's valid, of the Israeli factor in American national political life and the American Congress and any American administration there that so much seems to have to be filtered through Israel's needs, Israel's concerns, Israel's interests uh, before one can get down to Lebanon's interests, Lebanon's needs, Lebanon's uh, uh, legitimate goals and aspirations. How can you uh, help us understand this phenomenon and put it in context for us to understand how it makes uh, easier or more complex the present and the future of Lebanon? Well, if we, it's a long story to go and speak about an Iranian policy in the Middle East, many successes, but so many drastic failures enhancing dictators here and there. But plus the main, the main, they focused mainly and they are still on the question of Israel, on the, supporting the state of Israel, uh, 
and uh, and after 1967 invasion of the West Bank, well, uh, yes. they couldn't or they didn't want to refrain to stop uh, the settlements. Now, um, Secretary of State Blinken said he's supporting he's supporting again, which is good after Obama's uh, big blunders. He's supporting the two-state solution, but I wonder where can this Palestinian state emerge in the West Bank. There is no more, there is no more a place, physical place for the Palestinian state and the trend of settlements is continuing. Yes. Now, the, the, uh, the Israel lobby there, well, is uh, very important, of course, but, but I mean, uh, we'll see, we'll see, but I don't think mm. now that, well, uh, the, 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 uh, the the old dream of a two-state can exist. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. A, a final question from me, and uh, on, uh, you know that the Undersecretary Hale is uh, visiting you. Did we, um, uh, this uh, was it in Lebanon this uh, this week, I think, uh, and then uh, most likely you'll, uh, he's an old friend. He's, he knows Lebanon, uh, and you've met him multiple times, and uh, he's uh, representing the new administration. And considering you have a new administration, considering what we just talked about, the complexity of uh, economic issues, a humanitarian issue in Lebanon, in Lebanon, what would be your message for him to actually take take it home, take it back to the back to the Biden administration? The same that I, I told. I don't have secrets. I will tell them. David Hale is a friend of mine. I have so many. I have so many friends in the U.S. David Hale, now was excellent ambassador, and an old friend of mine, Jeff Feldman. A very close friend, historical friendship. Okay, uh, uh, the ambassador um, Elizabeth uh, Richard. Uh, now, uh, okay, but the, I mean, back back to the issue here. Can we oblige? Can you oblige? I mean, not can you oblige? Can you tell the people here? I'm I'm ready, uh, but I'm ready, but uh, my 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 power is limited. I cannot force neither Hezbollah nor the Maronites, nor Samir Jaja, nor Saad Hariri. Or a compromise. We need a government. We need a government to try to get slowly but surely to 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 escape from uh, from total from from not chaos from uh, from collapse. So this is what I'm going to tell him, and uh, and I think he's retiring. I don't, he's going to report to the uh, the the, uh, the uh, new State Department officials. I hope he will report that. They know it. They know it. They are saying, they used to say, Hale, a year ago when he was here, said, we want reforms. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Before I pass it back to uh, Dr. Anthony for uh, uh, final uh, uh, remarks, uh, do you have anything else to uh, uh, say, uh, final thoughts for you, anything you want to say we did not say and you want to cover, uh, uh, share with us? Well, uh, in this confinement, I have uh, I have read a lot, which is good. One the positive aspect of COVID, which is obliged to read, that is good. I advise you to read also a prominent uh, read back the a House of Many Mention, uh, written by a prominent scholar of AUB who used to be my teacher. His name is uh, Kamal Salibi. A House of mm. Many Mention. Okay. So this is very important to understand because he gives a very close understanding of the complexity of the Lebanese uh, society and which is very actual nowadays. What he wrote decades is very actual nowadays. Wow. Again, wow. Thank you. I'll actually, I, I wrote it down. I will read it. Uh, thanks for your time, and it's an honor to speak with you, and, uh, and um, uh, the best of luck, and uh, hopefully we can uh, meet again uh, and talk um, about the same right. issues here in the near future. Dr. All right. Thanks again. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. Thank you, uh, uh, Abbas Daouk, and Your Excellency. Uh, we're honored, pleased, and you've set a high standard. Uh, for future speakers, uh, further speakers, in our ongoing series of public affairs events, uh, where we're trying to elucidate the issues and enlighten people with regard to the challenges and the needs and the concerns and the policy and the positions uh, that go under uh, reported 
that people are unaware of and unappreciative of, uh, but only through the insight and information and knowledge and understanding that you've shared with us today uh, can we get further towards that distant goal. It's a noble goal, sir, to place this relationship on as firm a foundation as possible. Uh, we're speaking between and among friends and the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations uh, likes to think of itself as, as participatory a player in this process as any one can imagine. And you've helped to strengthen and expand our position and role in this regard. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Colonel Dehoe. Thank you, everyone who's listening. Goodbye.